All right, welcome to Hotel Fight Club. We're back again for another episode, and this time we've brought a friend, uh, <laughs> an old friend that we've had on here before, Dr. Billy Sven. <laughs> How you doing, man? Pretty good. Happy to be back. <laughs> good to have you back. Yeah. Oh, Chuck disappeared. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I guess nothing like that to you know start out a show and have your uh, co-host disappear, but um, what's going on with you? Um, I'm doing well, yeah. Um, enjoying the summer. Nice. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's been uh, been pretty uh, good summer for me as well. It's uh, it's been really like rainy and and uh, mild for for summers in Utah. So can't complain about that. Got some good herping going on, and can't can't beat that either. So <laughs> excellent. All around. You keeping busy? Uh, yeah, work's been busy. And then young kid during the summer is busy, too. They can't entertain themselves very well, so um, less work in that regard. So spending more time at home with them. But it's nice. good. How old are the, the uh, Five and seven. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Got to keep them entertained, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a fun time, though, for sure. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Mine, mine are all teenagers and above, so yep. I get a lot of feedback. <laughs> feedback that's a good word oh yeah that's a good last word. night was a doozy but yeah. oh no it's been fun nice I, my my youngest she was just you know just this little angel and all of a sudden she's become a full-blown teenager so <laughs> yeah getting through uh the fun with that so but she's yeah. she's i mean she's still a sweetheart but you know the, the teenager brain, brain yeah, damage it sets in no, and, yeah <laughs> what do you do I like I like how how much I forgot how much of an expert I was when I was a teenager. Yeah, on everything. Yeah. Like I right. said, it was certainty. It was all true. I knew it to be. I was right as right could be. Yeah, <laughs> not really. <laughs> so yeah, that Dunning Kruger syndrome is strong with teens, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, you don't know how uh, smart you are until you find out that you're not very smart. But. Yeah. All right. Well. Um, Things good for you, Chuck. Besides yeah, your injuries, well, yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm good besides my injuries. I'm hobbling around. So, <laughs> yeah, the, that uh, martial arts that'll get you. Huh? Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. My fault. <laughs> my bad. Yeah. So I took the took the two youngest girls out uh, herping the other night, and nice. we found a found a couple gopher snakes. They're you know crossing the road, so that was fun, and then. Um, came across a mother raccoon and her two cubs. <laughs> and so she took off. Like, I don't know where she went or where she was, but she, she left the babies on, and bailed. <laughs> and so <laughs> we sat and uh, videoed and checked them out for a bit. Yeah, they're pretty That's pretty cute. cool. Yeah. little baby raccoons. So uh, maybe fun. she'd uh, mama bear up on you and come after you or something. I was watching my back because I didn't want her to sneak up and like – yeah, rabies attack or something. But. I was charged by a raccoon as a teenager, and really? I'm not going to lie. I punted that fucking thing. <laughs> I, dude, I, it was full on. Like, those are scary if they... Dude, yeah, if I was, I was, yeah. I mean, I was freaked out. Like, I just, like, flight or fight or flight, you know, just yeah. boom, kicked the thing when it got close yeah. enough. But, yeah. yeah, it was tearing ass coming at me. I was scared. <laughs> 
If they're that bold, it's probably rabies or something. Yeah, like man. So, I don't, yeah, you don't want to mess with rabies. Dude. <laughs> Any virus that has a 100% mortality rate, if untreated, is not, not a good virus to get. Yeah. And probably not fun to get treated once, you're, uh, yeah. once you've contracted once you it. Yeah, been exposed. I think it's yeah. gotten a little better. Maybe you would know better, Billy. I don't there's just some. Uh, I'm no rabies expert, but yeah. there's some interesting stuff about. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, hyper uh, hypothermia and treating rabies in some people that have survived in Wisconsin. If I'm remembering really? correctly, and then doing more research about people. I'm going to butcher some of this, but in South America that have antibodies to suggest that they've been infected. Huh. Um, with potentially like a slightly different strain, but the idea that somehow some populations do survive. Um, but yes, it is horrible disease. Yeah. Get your animals <laughs> vaccinated and stay away from any animals that uh, would be potentially infected. And if you get bit by a bat, by a raccoon in particular, get your injections. It's not worth messing around with. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> For sure. Well yeah, said. That's a scary one. Yeah. Uh, well, crazy um, trash pandas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I uh, walked out to the reptile room and I got a nice surprise of another litter of blue tongue skinks. So nice. Fir- first time female. I wasn't sure if she was a female or not. I thought maybe it was a male, but yeah, it's nice to be surprised by that. I almost sold her uh, last uh, reptile show, so guess I'm glad I held on to her and uh, got the babies look nice. They're you know it's got some nice color on them right out of the. Out of the female, so that's been good. The uh, Hosmer's uh, skinks, the Hosmer spiny tail skinks, are doing well. The little babies. Nice. I did did lose one. Um, it was kind of weaker when it came out, and so um, didn't uh, didn't quite thrive uh, from the beginning. But um, the other two were going strong and looking good. Um, one lost its tail tip though, so that was. <laughs> I don't know if I told that on here, but. I didn't. I didn't think that the Hosmer skinks could lose their tails, and so I was showing people the skinks, right? And so I, I reached down, and grab, grab one of them, and I kind of used its tail a little bit to to pull it out and show it and whatever. And then all of a sudden, the tail just came right off in my hands. I'm like, "What the heck? I didn't think this could happen." And so I'm like, "Oh man!" Oh, man. So I grabbed the other one, and he, you know, I'm pulling the male up, and and he starts flipping his tail, and it just comes off. Like he he basically just flicked his tail at me and so both my skinks are there with stumpy t- i'm like i felt like the biggest idiot like oh, I'm, I'm just a moron here <laughs> you know i just i did i just didn't think the you know the spiny tail the gurney has lost their tails and i i don't think the you know like the depressive and things it takes a lot to to get them to lose their tails like pretty much biting it off or something for a predator but um yeah i found out the the sad way that the uh Hosmers can lose their tails and that they readily do lose their tails if they're stressed Ooh. out by a bunch of people in the reptile room. So lesson learned P- PSA for y'all. <laughs> so don't uh, show off your shy Egernia to visitors unless you know, they're not going to lose their tails, <laughs> but yeah, those babies are sure cute though. Little spots on them and stuff. They're, they're awesome. So nice. pretty stoked to, add another species to the list and uh of of having bred in captivity so they're pretty cool and my uh california king snake eggs are going strong uh nice so that's kind of a fun fun little thing i'm excited to see 
see them hatch out. That's a, I guess I can't really count that one because she came in gravid. So right, that's a little, a little mm. cheating there. But yeah, it'll be fun to see the. It still counts. There. It's just cheating counts, you know. For sure. It's like for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's been been cool. Um, you see, Dustin uh, Gran found a massasauga in uh, no, I didn't. South, nice southeastern Arizona. So added. I think that was the last. Uh, species for him or something now he's seen all the snake species in arizona or something like that what's he gonna do move i guess you know that's his only choice <laughs> start again he's, he's got to start some, again yeah yep. he's reset his list go find exactly. it all over again yeah i'm not sure if that was just for croats or was if that was for everything like mm. species and but and i'm not sure if he's counting those loots that he found in utah because you know that was in arizona so that's fair. That, that doesn't count. That's <laughs> yeah. below the belt. Yeah. Yeah. That's or above the belt. I don't know how you're going to call that. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. It would be above the belt. Cause it's, you know what I mean? North but, of the belt. But right? You get, you get the drift, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. What else is, uh, happening? Get gearing Me? up for, uh, for the Tinley show. I'm excited about that. Yeah. And, if you haven't gotten your tickets for the Gecko Symposium on Thursday, do so. Go come see us talk about geckos. It should be a fun little deal. So I'm excited. Is that is that like listen. a separate? Is that uh, can you buy those like on the website or how? I how think does it's that? It's a separate website. Yeah, okay. the, um, like it's separate. I probably should know the <laughs> the right name for that. But I'm sorry if I just totally set you up because you do, you don't know yet. But no, I mean it, it's it is kind of loosely associated. I mean it's at the same place as the Tinley Show. Yeah, it's but it's on Thursday, so the day before the vendors set up and all that kind of stuff. So you know I, I know a few people who are coming, kind of making a weekend of it, staying, yeah. you know, going Thursday for the talks, and it's pretty much all day for the talks on Thursday. Um, yeah, let me get some get some more. Uh, I'm definitely planning to go. Are you? Yeah. We're going to drive down from Minneapolis. Nice. Nice. It'll be good to get nice in person then. That'll be be fun. Yeah. This is the time where I'm like, ah, should have gone. You know what I mean? Ah. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, it's just, it's not good. I, it's not good timing for me, but I still feel that I still, when everybody's like, Starts making the plans. Oh man, I'm gonna miss out. That yeah. sucks. You know. I, I I know what you're saying. So yeah. yeah, it's just the Gecko Symposium at NARBC. So I guess it is associated. So Tinley Park. Um, so Thursday, October fifth, twenty twenty three, nine a.m. to six p.m. So full day of Gecko Madness. But Gecko Gecko Madness. I like There's it. There's a registration fee, um, but you uh, can get a shirt if you register before september 1st so get nice. that free gecko shirt um nice. yeah should be some good talkers uh there i don't know if i can include myself in that but there's there's a lot of a lot of good you're stuff a good out. talker i i really like so we um uh had one a few years back and that was uh really some really cool talks i I don't know. I, I had some favorites in there, but I don't know that I'm out of But I really, I thought Frank uh, Colachico gave a really inspiring talk about going out and herping and stuff. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. And there, would you say that was an talk, earlier? So. Was would you say that was an earlier on inspiration for you to get out and herp more? 
Well, I'd already been out. I mean, I'm saying, but you know, like maybe, maybe more in the United States. I think yeah. that kind of happened after that a little bit, but I'd already yeah. been kind of excited about going places. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mean like in general, I'm just saying like, um, I, yeah. I bought into the whole mindset of like, save your money from buying something, you know, some animal, a new animal and go out and use that money to go herping. Yeah. Know? Okay. That was kind of okay. one of his big lines was like, don't go buy that uh, leech on us. Use that money and go to a, go see where they're from. Or I super agree with that. Yeah. I super it's kind of a cool, cool. Uh, and then he had a ton of pictures and showed all these adventures that he'd been on on multiple continents and <laughs> countries. Yeah. And that's yeah. the way to sell that. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was pretty cool. So, yep. Um, but yeah, it should be some, some stuff. There's, there's pretty, uh, some some heavy hitters there, especially in the gecko world. You got Joe yeah. Up and Frank Payne, our old buddy Frank. So. Yeah. And uh, Steve Sykes. And, I mean, Philippe, the godfather of herpticulture, yep. is going to be one of the headliners, I'm sure. So that'll be awesome. But, yeah, so go check it out. If you don't have your tickets, uh, get some today. <sighs> okay. Okay. <laughs> And then I'll also be speaking in uh, in Australia, Australia. At the, yeah. uh, Hawkesbury Herp Society meeting um, the week after Tinley. So that's going to be nice. a busy wow. month of travel uh, going uh, from Tinley back home and then out to Australia. Does that mean that we're going to go on another uh, podcast hiatus, an episode hiatus? I don't know. I might I might uh, convince the guys to record with me in the car or something out. Uh, okay. Up and so... Uh, I'm going to go herp with old uh, Pete Birch, and um, I'm hoping some of the other guys can make it, too. Uh, um, so we'll we'll see who can. Peter will be amiable to Yeah, I, I think podcast. he's in for sure. I think yeah. Chris uh, Cupper's in as well, so that'll be fun. All right, and, cool. Uh, we're meeting up with Steve Crawford. Uh, not Steve Crawford. <laughs> Steve, uh, I'm sorry. Is it Steve? Oh, my gosh. My brain is, I don't know how it works, but. Maybe uh, Doctor Sven can help me with that. I, <laughs> I am uh, in trouble here, but yeah, it is Steve Crawford. I just second yeah. guess myself. Anyway, um, we're gonna go meet up with him in South Australia and go find some more geckos and hopefully a carpet python. That'd be nice to see one out there in the wild. But yeah, I was. Um, oh man, who is it? Uh, it's uh, is it South Coast? Uh, Snake catchers, the You're asking me, you know. <laughs> oh, I know. The one well, that Eric and Eric yeah, 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 he does like the rescue. Yes. Man, he pulled yeah. a really cool coastal uh-huh. uh, out on video, and it was just like, oh, look, it's a Brisbane, it's a Brisbane coastal right there. There it is. That's the Brisbane coastal. So it was, it was funny. Yeah, there's some nice cool variability of out of that. Yeah, of definitely. Yeah, no, because most of the coastals that he pulls out are, you know, in the pretty blase yeah. blah. You know, they're oh, not, yeah. they're not, uh, they didn't, you know, that's the first one that I've seen that really had that nice kind of, you know, yeah, caramely ish, you know, Brisbane y look to it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind keeping some Brisbane uh, coastals down the road. Only had experience with the northern, northern. Ver- variety of coastal or jungle or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. <laughs> whatever now. I mean, yeah, is it even a thing? Like, do people even care anymore once you drop a bomb? I don't know if anybody like, oh, cares at what all the about fuck? the... Yeah, or you know? I, I see a lot of people not even not even uh, going along with it, so... you know. Well, yeah, because, I mean, because it, it, 
it throws That's enough fine. of a wrench in there, like yeah. lineage charts and all of this shit that they built. That's like, hey, it's yeah. cool, and this is what I'm talking about. It's a nice guide, <laughs> but maybe it doesn't mean as much shit as you think it does, right? right. Like it gives you a good roadmap of like where, how you got there, mm-hmm. but it doesn't maybe taxonomically mean anything, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's true. It's, uh, it's, I, I mean, I don't know. I was listening to Schmitty on his podcast and he said, taxonomy's fake. So <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I mean, it, I, you know, look, I don't think it's fake. I think you need a system to classify things. And it's, 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 it's just a system. It's just a system, but like any system, it's not perfect. It's like it was created by the federal government. It doesn't really work. It's not perfect, but it's kind of what we got. And it's it's been around long enough that, you know, we're not getting rid of it. So the edges are murky. Yes, (laughs) very much so. Yeah, Yeah, that's and that's probably a good way to say it. Right. Like the you know, um, I I would say the stuff that's probably not in the edges is pretty well sorted out. Um, But, yeah. Yeah. And, And I think it depends on what what system you uh subscribe to you know what uh tax and how you define a species or how you mm-hmm. you know the the uh, static or or not static but uh variable nature of things and how things are in flux and yeah you know, what what right now is is one thing may <laughs> change and turn into something else i don't it's hard to hard to pin it down i think for sure but and you know we're just kind of looking at snapshots and yeah what what things well and i I think that's why you know as if you're a taxonomist you probably need to be an expert in if you're a a bird taxonomist you need to be an expert in birds because Mm -hmm. you have to have that context Mm -hmm. because you don't necessarily evaluate everything the same way you know what i mean it's kind of like well in this case, we look at this, this, and this because of these things. And in this case, we look at this, this, and this because of those things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, and I get it, you know, some groups evolve quicker than others. And, yeah. and so, you know, you need so, some so for all guess, of, so, so for me and you looking in, it's like, what the yeah. fuck are these, these guys are just making this shit. Like, like they're just pulling this stuff out of like, okay, I see maybe how they get there, but like, it's all over the place. Well, yeah, yeah. sure. Because we're not experts. Yeah. You know the I mean? consistency thing though. That's what bugs me. Yeah. Like, and, you know, and I agree. And, and, yeah. and you know, between different groups, it's just a different, almost a different mechanism or yeah. of classifications. I don't know, man. I'm just saying that <sighs> as a federal government employee, taxonomy gives me the same kind of vibe. <laughs> I, I think we need a word from our sponsor to get us <laughs> Mutton lifting power gloves. If you ain't got your mutton lifting power gloves, you're not shit. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yeah. Brought to you by Nick Mutton power lifting gloves. <laughs> Mutton's choice. Mutton's choice. Power lifting gloves. Come on. We got to get the, we got to get it right. We don't want to anger my Mr. Bad. Mutton. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, we appreciate his sponsorship though. It's, it's really, it helps out. You really threw the sponsorship thing in there last real quick, so I yeah. I just had to go. So my bad. It works. It works. Yeah. All right. Well, um, what's going on with you, Billy? What you got uh, cooking lately? Um, I got my first clutch of poison dart frog eggs ever. Nice. nice. Just earlier this week, so that was Which exciting. Species? Uh, Dendrobates leucomelis. So oh, nice. a nice, real, good starter uh, poison dart frog. Cool. Yeah, and they're, so we got, 
They're not I got like, five eggs and uh, one was like a one was a dud and the other four are clearly developing tadpoles. So okay. pretty cool. I've I've only had experience with the uh, um, tinctorious and yeah, very similar to that. Okay, it was yeah. just a long like are they just takes forever to hatch and morph into a froglet and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, from what I'm reading and hearing from people I talk to, it's like about a couple weeks to hatch mm-hmm. and then a few months to morph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just seemed like it took forever. I'm I'm kind of an impatient guy, also. <laughs> but yeah, that's cool. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm I'm excited about it. I love being able to, especially at this stage. Like every day, they look different. Yeah. And so right. it's pretty cool to see. So they're all they're moving forward and um, yeah, all that good stuff. Cool. Yeah. That's fun. Um, yeah. That's uh. Do you, what are your uh, plans for kind of? Are you are you looking to like? look for holdbacks or are you looking to sell them all or, or uh i have um actually the person that sold me mine said that he'll take these and sell them and so mm-hmm. i trust him as a reliable person um yeah. that will find good homes for them and it will take at least at this point because it's the only thing that i'm breeding mm-hmm. um make it so i don't have to try to find good homes for a really common frog if i couldn't find nice. them i would just get rid of the eggs or as what happens is the females just tend to eat them, like the other yeah. females eat them. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they're a pretty common frog, so if I don't have a good homes for them, they don't need to be bred yeah. from my standpoint. Yeah. But that's, it sure is fun, at least so yeah. far. Right, yeah. That's, it's, such a, it's such a balance, like a high-wire act to, you know, do I breed yeah. them, do I just keep them, do it, you know. That's, yeah. uh, it is sure fun to see baby <laughs> reptiles yeah. or amphibians, you know, so... Uh, yeah, I have a hard time. You know, I'd, I would have a hard time if I couldn't breed them. You know? so, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's like once you do breed them, then you're like, okay, now i got to find good homes for all these, right. and it becomes a, another sort of headache. So I yeah. end up holding on to stuff way too long anyway, so I get to get to hang out with it for a while. But Yeah, I'm stuff. horrible at doing ads and mm-hmm. trying to move stuff out, so it's like I either need to chill out breeding or... or uh, I don't know, you know. Yeah. Yep, that's uh, that's the, the razor's edge we walk, I guess. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I, you know, it's nice to do a few shows every year, and I I can kind of meet and talk with people face to face, and kind of get to know them, and and make sure it's it's a good fit for them, and things like that. So mm-hmm. it helps helps alleviate a little bit of those concerns that you have, you know, selling animals, but yeah. That's it's it's fun. Yeah, those baby skinks today were <laughs> very cute. Yeah, I got a nice hatch rate out of my inlands as well, so that was good. Nice, I have those all hatched out and looking good. So waiting for their first shed and uh, yeah, one female, one female this year. Yeah, just one female nice. this year, just one clutch. So yeah, it's the way it goes, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think I only bred bad two problem. females and yeah, and yeah. So I just one's fine. That's probably exactly how you want something like that to go, right? Like breed them both and hopefully one of them goes, but not both. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. The pygmies look good. So Nice. Sorry. I I went back to my stuff. So sorry about that, Billy. (laughs) No problem. Dart frog eggs and the rest of the collection doing well? Dart frog eggs. Yeah, I got a couple more of those Cameroon dwarf geckos. Oh, cool. Um, So hopefully we'll have... 
a pair or some, somewhere in there and mm-hmm. um but still probably a year or two away from something happening mm-hmm. as far as actual eggs yeah. um and then making plans to get my second species of dart frogs getting the um phyllobates terribilis orange oh. blackfoot Cool. Actually, making plans to get them in the Chicago area uh-huh. when I'm down at Tinley yeah, is the is the hope. Cool. What do, what do those look like? Um, really like bright orange, uh-huh. uh, really bold orange, and then they have black feet and kind of like a black like mask and jowls. Okay. But That's very cool. orange, like striking yeah. orange. Nice. Okay. Yeah, and they're yeah. big. They're I mean they're like. Um, Aren't they one of the larger species? Yeah, right? so they're like a big tinctorious size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then they're stockier, though. Yeah, yeah, a little more round, a little more yeah. frog-like, you know. Right? And they've got reputation for being, like, the boldest of, of dart frogs. Cool. And depending on how you, how you measure toxicity, they are one of the most toxic yeah. poison dart frogs. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, whether it's... The real core, real uh, story, or just like a correlation that they're so toxic that like nothing scares them is kind of the way they get described in herpetoculture. And so, but like people just it looks like open the door of the enclosure and stick their camera in there and they don't jump around. So Uh it'll be cool if if that ends up being the case. Yeah. They have some of those at our local uh, aquarium and and uh, you know the big multi-species tank. You know that's like. 12 feet long and you know four feet deep and sure. you just sit and see how many you can find you know i love love the dart frogs they're they're yeah. really fun to sit and watch you know i kind of miss having them in my office but yeah, sure it's been a few few years since uh since i had those but yeah they're the tink anyway, dart frogs are fun yeah they're, they're, they're super fun yeah that's cool well yeah hopefully you can get some uh, some nice ones yes yeah. <laughs> terribilis um, I guess they don't know they're not toxic in captivity either. Exactly. <laughs> don't tell them. Keep, good they keep that bold uh, nature. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, they're kind of like perfect. The whole dendrobatid complex, like perfect display pets, and for that reason, you know, diurnal and hopping around in the bright green background with their bright jewel colors. Yeah. Can't really go wrong. Yep. No, sure. definitely not. Yeah. How, how do you have them set up? Your... Uh, was it Luke? Yeah, Luke, Luke, Luke Malas. I mean, yeah. the other people won't be able to see, but it's just right here. Okay. So yeah. well, I mean, it's just a. You do. It's the, like a yeah, the back two wall. foot wide, eighteen foot, eighteen inch deep, um, two feet tall, Euro style sliding glass doors. I made it myself. Cool. Um, Troy Goldberg is kind of a DIY dart frog guru on YouTube. Uh, gotcha. Followed. I follow. I modified it slightly so it could fit perfectly in the corner of my desk. But it. Uh, I followed his uh, instructions pretty closely. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I love those YouTube videos that <laughs> kind of just walk you through it. And yeah, it's wonderful. Like it really yeah, changed everything. Yeah. Because when, when and then you, you can fill in the gaps by going on forums and finding like very specific little things. Yeah. Like compared to like I'll go on Dendroboard and see a build detailed from a decade ago and the amount of time and details it takes you to read their steps and then I still have questions versus Mm -hmm. you watch someone do it 
and even if they don't say something specifically, you're like, oh yeah, they it's overlapping on the outside, not the inside mm-hmm. of the wood mm-hmm. or of the glass, you know. Yeah. And it's like that's why that number's slightly different, you know. Yeah. It all makes more sense. Yeah. When you see yeah. it. I agree. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, it's fun too to kind of have a hand in creating that environment for them and, and kind of mm-hmm. seeing the finished product and enjoying it. Yeah. Really customizable then, and then it feels empowering because truly with glass, especially if you have a glass cutter cut the glass for you, yeah, it, you don't really need tools. It's just silicone, and it's quite easy to do. And then, mm-hmm. but then gave me the idea to build the um, PVC enclosure for my ball python, mm-hmm. um, and then I needed to borrow some tools for that and have my father-in-law help me quite a bit. <laughs> but it, then, it, but it, it was doable, and it was a fraction of the cost of yeah buying it and I can make it exactly the way I want it that's cool yeah yeah glass has kind of gone up in price a bit like everything has everything, everything. yeah so that's an everything I problem I was looking at uh, sliding doors for some cages and I I found some shelves like from Ikea that were mm-hmm. the right size and so I'm getting those to work but <laughs> yeah it's, uh, the the glass just buying cut glass was ridiculous it was crazy yeah. so Yep. Ah, that's that's cool stuff. All right, well, um, we ready to do some fighting? Yeah, what are we fighting about? Um, We're going to talk about uh, kind of our responsibility as keepers, you know, for the long-term care of our our snakes, or, you know, if it's it's cool to move them on after we've kind of, they've lost our interest or they've run their course or whatever, however you want to say it or whatever reason you have to to move an animal on you know Mm -hmm. as an adult or as as something you've had for a long time so what's our responsibility i guess in that regard is that kind of sum it up you have anything to add to that billy or no that sounds good yeah when you get an animal are you making a life commitment to the animal versus Mm -hmm. go ahead and rehome it as you wish yeah yeah sounds good well i guess uh chuck we're gonna go ahead and do the first toss and See who gets to heads. Fight. It is heads. You gonna fight or are you gonna? I will let you fight this one. Okay. I have very strong feelings on this. I already know which side I would take, <laughs> and um, I mean, I, this goes to my dogs, to my reptiles. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I've I, and and to me as a person, I'm a lo- I, loyalty is a huge thing for me as a person. So <laughs> I I need to shut the hell up and let you guys talk about it. All right, it sounds good. Um, all right, well, go ahead and call this one, Billy. Uh, I'll do tails. It's heads. I'm sorry. Oh. No. <laughs> um, let's see. Shay. I might, I might go on the the check side and be like a long termer. I know you probably you probably feel the same way, so I'm going to have you battle the other side. Sounds good. <laughs> I'm going to take the easy way. way, I guess. Yeah, I figured you would be. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I'll uh, I'll let you go ahead and lead us out. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Yeah. So um, we are going to argue that we're not obligated to keep these animals for their entire lifespan. Mm-hmm. So. I think the first thing is reptiles live a really long time. So even with the best of intention, if you're getting frogs that live two decades or snakes that live three, four decades or turtles that live eight to ten decades, right? Um, You're opening yourself up for a lot of things changing, right? Like you're potentially going through being single to 
having a family, to changing jobs, to moving across the country, to retiring, to getting sick. There's all kinds of things that change over the course of multiple decades. And so you could have a very reasonable um, group of animals that you're taking care of that you at some point, something's going to change and you feel like you have to move them on. And so you need to think about how to do that responsibly. Um, and um, if, as long as you have the ability to rehome them and find good homes for them, I, I think that sounds like an okay thing to do. Mm-hmm. That would be right. opening argument. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah, <laughs> things change. Um, I think I guess the converse of that is is also true that if you're planning on getting uh, a you know certain reptile species, you should you know first off know how long it's going to live, and you should try to plan and 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 schedule you know or, or make sure that you can um, keep that animal for the entirety of its lifetime and. And so, you know, that's, that's tricky because a lot of reptiles kind of fall under the impulse by, I know you, you, you've shown (laughs) that, that not all keepers are that way, right? You have a very good, uh, mindset and planning. And I really like, what'd you call them? Your, your theses or your, your, uh, Uh, my tenants, your tenants. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I, and I think, you know, that needs to be more widespread in the hobby where we, we don't just buy a baby reticulated python because we can house it for now. You know, we need to look, you know, maybe even just a couple of years into the future when they get almost unmanageably large um, to are we going to have a room size enclosure for the snake? You know, not just wishful thinking like, oh, yeah, I, I can probably do that by the time it's big enough, you know. So I think if we had more conscientious uh, planning when when buying any any animal you know i think it goes for our furry friends as well but you know that we have that in mind when we're we're making a purchase um to to you know be able to keep that animal for its uh, the rest of its life because you know things could change and maybe nobody wants that animal you know what are you going to do then yeah it's it's really difficult to find a good home because nobody wants your you know giant sulcata or your giant reticulated python you know and and it's just going to kind of languish away somewhere or be in a rescue or something like that and and that's never a good situation so i think you know more conscientious purchases and more uh, planning, you know, I, I don't have anything against somebody getting a reticulated python or a sulcata tortoise, but they should have that at the forefront of their mind. How am I going to keep this animal for 20, 30, or 100 years, you know, in the case of the tortoise, potentially? So um, that's, I guess, how I'd counter the sure. <laughs> initially. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's a difference between people getting an animal not knowing what they're getting or people getting an animal and saying, Exactly what you said, like, oh, I'll put them in a four-foot enclosure now, and then by the time they're six-foot, I'll be able to get a six-foot enclosure. By the time they're 12-foot, I'll find a 12-foot enclosure. And they Mm -hmm. don't actually know how they're going to do that while they're, you know, living in an apartment or still living with their parents or whatever, right? Um, Versus, like, I think about myself, and I've been keeping reptiles for a couple decades now, but never at very high quantities. And so... Mm -hmm. As I'm looking around, thinking about what I want next, there's a whole bunch of question marks because I've never actually experienced them. Mm -hmm. And so unless I go and 
have an opportunity to be with someone locally that has those things, at some point I have to say, you know what, I know how I'm going to care for this animal. I know how much space that they are going to take. I know what... Um, I, I know what they eat and how I'm going to provide for this animal. And then I get it, and I'm probably going to get one to start with, but then I might get a couple pretty quickly because I'd want to breed them and I want to make sure I'm sourcing from good places. And then if they're not, if they're not the most interesting for me, which is hard, super hard to tell before you yeah. get into it, mm-hmm. um, and I get, you know, so like I'm thinking about um, like these these poison dart frogs I'm getting, I'm pretty confident about that. But then, um, because I love the ones I already have, and these have slightly different characteristics that I'm really looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, if I get thumbnail dart frogs, which are those tiny little ones, if they really freak me out, because every time I open the enclosure, I'm afraid they're jumping out, and, or you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's just <laughs> it's stressful every time. Two years into that, am I obligated to keep them for the rest of their life versus finding another person around me that would want them? Mm-hmm. And then I think about some of the other gecko species that I'm interested in getting. Um, and I hear people say such great things about them. Like I'm specifically thinking about like Eurodactyloides and um, Goniurosaurus geckos. Um, so the um, like chameleon geckos and the cave geckos is what they're often they're called. Yeah. And I'm hoping to get some or both of them over the next few years. But I've never had anything exactly like those. I guess I've had leopard geckos, which are kind of cave gecko-like. Mm-hmm. But so what if, I, what if they don't interact in my room, in my limited amount of space that I have, the way I thought they would? Um, it seems like... If they're not bringing joy to me, and they could bring joy to somebody else because they're a species that clearly lots of people like, why am I therefore obligated to take care of them forever? Yeah. Yeah. And and I guess the sad part of that is that human nature usually, um, once you lose interest in something or they're not doing it for you, their their care starts to decline in in a lot of cases, and so then you see you know uh, cases of animal neglect or um, you know the kind of the dark side of the hobby, I guess you'd say. But so yeah, I, I definitely it's, it, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? The the more of the uh, blase blase blah, like if I'm not into it, move them on, may actually be the more um, empathetic uh, way to be with the animal. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, it's kind of yeah. counterintuitive. Yeah. And, and, you know, I guess, I guess, um, I'm not saying you're necessarily obligated to keep a species you don't like for the rest of your life, but when you're purchasing an animal, that's kind of when you're, you're saying, can I keep this for the rest of its life? If I love yeah. it and it's, that's it's a really distinct question. For me. Yeah. And so I, I guess that kind of forethought and, and things, cause I mean, yeah, a lot of things look really cool and I, I've heard, uh, uh, Owen talk about like well he likes all the crazy stuff that people get sick of or something but I've heard mm-hmm. maybe it's Eric saying you know he didn't enjoy keeping like ring pythons or, or white lip pythons you know that were you know liked it really wet and, and had you know like were kind of feisty like bite a lot and they crap and you know <laughs> you know pee all over you every all time the you fun stuff up. yeah exactly yeah, all the fun so stuff it's like 
you may not know that when you're just looking at Instagram and you see a beautiful white lip python with all its iridescent, you know, on display and you're just like, oh, that's a cool snake. You know, I, I would love to keep one of those. So so I think it's good to, like you said, you know, to to visit with people who keep them and maybe even go over and see them kind of in action. Say, hey, can you pull this snake out and let me handle it or let me see it? You know, that, yeah. that's not always possible. And, you know, I think... And even if you know the reputation, like you did the homework, mm -hmm. it's different when it's your 24-7. Like yeah. it's always your responsibility. Yeah. And so, you know, you know you're in, you're in a, a dry environment like I am where, you know, keeping a, a thing on a moist substrate is very difficult because things dry out so quickly, especially during the summer when you have to run the AC unit and it's just pulling all the moisture out of your reptile room. You know, then you got to kind of counterbalance that with you know other ways you know foggers or, or humidifiers or whatever but you know it can be kind of a pain sorry chuck you were gonna say something. oh no um i was just saying um you know kind of to to maybe to you know to your side justin you know i i my cattle dogs which isn't reptiles but they're you know they're kind of high strung they're <laughs> you know they're not an everybody dog right and yeah. um and i you know i like them and i, I you know i i there's aspects I really like about the dog, but I recognize that they're, you know, just being a herding dog, they're high strung. They, you know, they can be nippy. They're, mm -hmm. there, there are a lot of things that like, if, if I was just like, eh, I didn't, this isn't working for me, move them on. They may not have a good outcome because they're, you know, I, you know, if I'm not willing to, so I like the dog, I'm willing to take, maybe some of the more negative aspects of the dog on because I know if I don't, if I don't take them on, probably no one else is going to take them on either if I give them up. So I'm probably the last line for that, you know, kind of goofball neurotic dog that just is bred that way. That's how they are. You know, yeah. um, I got one cattle dog that runs for his kennel when he hears a walk and I got the other one who freaks out and just can't wait to get outside. So like I literally have both spectrums and that's totally cattle dog. Both, both ends of that is totally cattle dog. So yeah. anyway, I just, you know, kind of to your point, like how do you let something like that go when you know, you know, right. yeah. just, just like my, anything pretty much that I got from Carrie and Todd, that's absolutely psychotic. And I'm like, man, if I, if I move this on, somebody's really, I mean, bite the shit out of them and they're going to be like, ah, I don't like this, you know? So yeah. like kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that could, could go along with that. And, um, I, I mean, yeah, I, you know, of course, if, if you're, if you're going, if things are going to go downhill for you in regards to that, I like, you're not interested in might definitely move them on. Yeah, you know, for sure. Don't no, let them yeah. languish uh, in your, in your house yeah. just because you feel obligated or anything. Yeah. Unarguably so. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's definitely yeah. uh, to, to Billy's side, but, um, you know, just that, and yeah, you, like you can't do all, you can't know everything about them in the beginning or if they're going to work in your situation, but you know, give it, give it a best faith effort. Don't just, yeah. you know, I think, I think you have to have your goals and expectations set very, very strongly. How far are you willing to go? You know how, and, and evaluate all of those things before you, you know, actually put, you know, the wheels of problem in motion for yourself by getting the animal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that goes for a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember one guy back in the day that was, uh, 
I think he got the first albino carpets or, or head albinos in the country. He produced the first. What do you remember that guy? What was he lived in Utah and uh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, he he like I, I heard he. So he produced an albino. Everybody was excited. And then he, like, tried to sell it for big money. Then he sold the parents. And then he got into falconry, like, the next week, just completely bouncing around. What's that guy's name, Hobby man? to hobby. It was crazy. It wasn't now it's, Chris it's, Proctor, it's, was it? Was it Chris yeah, Proctor? Yeah, it was Proctor. Yeah, Chris yeah. Proctor. So, Good job. Yeah, I met the guy. Good. He was a nice, nice enough guy, but just kind of bounced yeah. around from well, but, I mean, hobby and you know, how some short people attention do. span or something. You know, yeah. It was, it was yeah. kind of crazy, like. And I guess, you know, like like you said, that's kind of the opposite of my personality. And I think one other aspect is like, you know, as a hobbyist, we kind of have an opportunity to have kind of a flagship species that may not be popular, may not be that mainstream, that people may not even know exists, but you know, you can kind of popularize and, and make them well known and, and maybe even kind of be kind of a reservoir for for that uh, group of animals. You know, maybe they're imported heavily and, and all of a sudden the imports stop and then all of a sudden you're the only person breeding them, you know. So I think there's there's some aspects. And I think it was Yasser that uh, the, the first one that I kind of noticed making that plea is like work with something that's less appreciated or that's you know not worth any commercial value but that you find cool you know i think that's a really cool concept you know because i think we get into this monoculture uh aspect of herpeticulture where everybody just wants to keep ball pythons boas leopard geckos crested geckos you know all the all the same things and then it just becomes a little bit boring you go to a reptile show and it's just you don't know when one table ends and the other begins because it's all the same stuff so you know if you have something really cool that catches people's eye or that nobody's working with i mean that's kind of you know variety is the spice of life so um i kind of hope i see a little of both at a reptile show right like yeah, and I, and I mean, I guess they have their novelty of you know new morphs or yeah. different combinations or whatever, and, and you know that floats some people's boat a lot. And I I used to get a little more excited about that, but I'm kind of finding myself being less interested in all the genetic mutations and combinations than I was a decade ago. But <laughs> yeah, I think the the other side of people with unusual or rare species as breeding projects is um, the, you know, if it's not working for you, right? Um, So say you have those white lip pythons and you can't get them to reproduce in your settings, probably the best thing for the survival of that species in herpeticulture would be to move them on to someone who is doing a better job with them um, and let them have an opportunity to uh, use them as a, as a different line and, and keep the, keep the genetics good instead of saying, Oh, I, you know, I pick these out and uh, you know, I'm just going to give it another, another four years here, you know? Yeah. Are you saying that that reptiles are not a nut to be cracked? What? <laughs> How dare you, sir? How dare you? Sorry, on behalf of all the listeners, I had to say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean we have a, a good friend, uh, Keith McPeak, that just yeah. moved on his bull and I um, that he had for many years. You know, prime pairs that were doing great for him otherwise, but just 
he, you know, they just weren't reproducing for him. And, mm-hmm. and so he, he moved those on to somebody who, who would be able to, you know, maybe have a bigger group or whatnot, you know, and, and he, he got some, uh, Lanthanotis, some of the earless monitors and, mm-hmm. and, uh, cool. is playing with those now. So yeah, I can definitely see like for the betterment, for the better, you know, for the good of the species, um, finding somebody that, you know, may have more success or may have a better chance of, of doing what you might not have been able to do. But I mean, and definitely Keith gave it his best effort and yeah. was passionate about it for, for a very long time. And it still is passionate about it. You know, he still cares about the species. And I think that's kind of the main reason he moved those on was exactly what you said. So yeah, I, I would, uh, you know, agree. That's a good reason to move something on, especially if you, if you got an animal just for Instagram likes, you know, you, you had, you're a YouTuber and you had an extra 10 grand. And so you got a, a bull and I here too. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, just have them for for the the shock and awe of I I spent twenty grand on a pair of snakes, <laughs> not because you really care about the species, Ouch. but you want the the likes. You know, that's I, probably not a very good faith purchase. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. so you know, moving those on to somebody who can't afford them, you know, maybe can't afford a twenty thousand dollar pair of snakes, but w- would potentially uh, reproduce them and, and maybe make them more available is, is a definitely a noble cause. <laughs> bunch of likes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's tricky. I mean, you know, that's anytime something goes up in price like that, it's really yeah. a tricky thing. It becomes once money's involved. And, and I think that's, you know, maybe, I don't know, I guess that could work either way, right? Either, either side. Um, if you're, if if the animals are worth a lot of money, you know, and you can reproduce them and uh, keep them healthy and happy and give them the space and care they need, um, you're going to be able to move those offspring and and potentially make money that will that will perpetuate your hobby and allow you to you know care for them even better. Get him! It would get be em. a show without an, in- get <laughs> an interruption from Ruby, right? So, um, apologies. <laughs> so you know, I think you know. There's definitely those those uh, aspects of it. You know, if you can be successful with a, a species that maybe other people have a hard time with, or that you've kind of dedicated your time and effort and focus to, um, you know. You can you can definitely make that a, a good thing for yourself as well as others that are interested in it. And if you have that excitement for it, it's kind of it's kind of uh, a uh, contagious thing, right? You get excited about a species and you're gung ho about them and talking about them all the time, putting out content or whatever about this species. Other people tend to notice that, and and I think there's you know some really good examples of that. Uh, um, in the the hobby for sure frank Payne, you know he's he's uh really good at at, uh kind of getting those lesser seen lesser known projects and making them appeal to a wide variety of people so um yeah i think there there is some benefit to kind of having those long-term projects because there is there is a lot of fluctuation in the market too where you know like i said some things might be coming in as imports and then all of a sudden all that stops and then everybody goes wait i want one of those and now i can't get it and now they're 10 times the price you know who who has these and and if nobody cared about them and nobody was was thinking about them then you know i get it you know trying to compete with import prices can be maddening and that's not very fun but 
Um, I think for the most part, people will pay a little extra or, or a lot extra for a captive bred um, animal versus a wild caught, especially with the prices some of these wild cots are coming in under. But so I, yeah, I guess I make that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I hard to argue with some of those. I would say since you brought up Frank Payne, I heard him on the uh, Reptile Entrepreneur podcast this uh-huh. week. Um, talking about the projects that (laughs) it's good it's good you should listen to it it's um bill strand uh with the chameleon academy Uh it's one of his uh like kind of like side podcasts oh cool um i like so frank Payne talking about his criteria for the animals that he chooses and then how he decides to move on projects Mm -hmm. uh which i thought was really interesting and so describing in particular and i mean he has very different um, objectives than than me, for example, where I'm don't really care about making money on these animals, and if eventually I make some and could even cover the cost of some of my supplies, that'd be amazing. But that's not even really my goal. Yeah. Versus, it's you know how he provides a big chunk of income for his family. Um, but he was talking about having his um, uh, spiny iguanas, I think, um, mm-hmm. banana pectinata. Mm-hmm. Um, iguanas um, and how much space they took up only having a few pairs and deciding that he needed to move them on so that he yeah. could continue um, with some of the smaller species that he was doing and uh, like talking about beauty anoles being one of the other you know slightly bigger species but being able to fit dozens of them into the same amount of space that he wanted to have those iguanas in yeah. um, and so he moved the he moved the project on and he moved it on you know, together for someone else to, to use instead of, you know, chopping it up and profiteering on it as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and so to me, that seems like a really good example of someone like, you know, I have no doubt in my mind, he knew exactly what he was getting into. And then a couple of years in decided this isn't working this isn't the way forward. Um, and then described, taking in a few other animals where he gets a few pairs in to figure out which ones are going to be the next big projects. Um, and so not very many people are going to be Frank Payne's, you know, yeah. like not many of us are going to have a real full-time job, but I think in a smaller scale, cause I, yeah, I was thinking about it. Like if I get something and it's not exactly what I was hoping for a few years in, um, the ability to move it on somebody else. I, um, but yeah, I, I think you said it earlier, like the difference between getting it, knowing the possibilities and getting it and knowing, um, everything like exactly and how it's going to be for you, um, perfectly. Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, maybe, uh, a little little different twist on that too is is uh, um, thinking about um, w- once you buy into a project, you know you usually get them as as uh, juveniles, and sometimes if you buy a group, you can get a, a pretty good deal or something. But um, usually, when you sell an adult animal that's you know potentially reproductive and and ready to go, you're probably going to lose money, you know, in some way, or you're not going to get what you think you probably should get out of that animal. So, um, I think a lot of people, and, and, and sometimes that kind of 
messes up uh, the pricing structure, whatever, for whatever that's worth, I guess. I don't know how, how excited I am about pricing structures at all. But, um, you know, a lot of times if people are getting out of adult projects and, and they f- have to sell them for less or have to sell them quickly or something, they're usually going to take a loss or, or sell it to the you know highest bidder, or the first one to ask for them. And so that can that can be somewhat problematic as well. And so, you know, if I guess um, keep that in mind, if you do have to move on a project, maybe, you know, don't expect that you're going to get every last cent out of them and don't expect that, you know, everybody's going to be excited to buy uh, adult animals, especially if you haven't been able to prove them out. Now, I know some people can take animals like I've got a friend that can take animals like that and and he'll reproduce them in the first year you know when the person had them for 15 years and couldn't get any offspring out of them so some people just kind of have that Midas touch I guess when it comes to certain species or or animals in general but um, you know I I think uh, don't don't just dump them on the market you know don't just put them in your local classifieds and look for the first person with a checkbook to show up you know like make sure you're you're trying to do good for the animals, find a good home for them, find somebody who might be successful with them, even if it may, means taking a little bit more of a loss. Um, you know, Potentially, this is more of a point for you, but potentially keeping them together, too, mm-hmm. versus, you know, depending on how big the group is. Like if it's just a trio yeah. of something that's relatively rare, trying to find someone that can take a trio yeah. versus like if you're getting out of your collection of like locality king snakes and you got 50 of them or something, mm-hmm. maybe dividing them up in plays, ways that are reasonable, but still that so projects can continue. Yeah. So you don't break projects and break lineages. Yeah. Uh, even if you could get, you know, 20% more money if you were to sell them individually to the highest bidder. Yeah. Yeah. It's and probably you know, not that, the right way to do it. Yeah. That is kind of, I mean, it seems like a lot of, there is kind of a lot of that, uh, Noah's Ark type keeping and I you know I'm I'm guilty of that to some extent where I have small groups of of a lot of species rather than you know one large group of like I guess I I would compare that with like Ron St. Pierre where he buys 30 of of a certain species and and sets up a large group and sets them up you know in, in large enclosures outdoors in Florida or something like that you know compared to getting just a pair or two of a, of a certain species. So, um, you know, I'm definitely guilty of that, but yeah, these, these large projects where I, I do have a few of those large projects where I have multiple animals and multiple breeders of, of the same species. And, and I, I want to, you know, have a reservoir of those as well for myself. So I, you know, I need to move or I have moved a lot of those on. So in case, you know, some catastrophic event like a fire takes out my whole collection, I can, you know, have a source of those in the, in the future. You know, I've, I've produced enough that they're out there and hopefully people are breeding them, you know, but there is no guarantee. I, you know, I I always, I always go back to, uh, um, Bert Langworth and when he passed away and, you know, that, that, I think they were trying to sell the whole, uh, his whole Agama International ranch is, you know, the property, the lizards, everything together. And I don't think they, I think somebody bought it, but I, I don't remember if they kept like certain species or if those went somewhere else. But because all of a sudden Australian water dragons kind of disappeared, you know, you had a few people yeah. that are producing them uh, pretty well, but uh, for the most part, like, he was the main guy for the Australian water dragons. And, and I get it, you know, everybody has different, 
um, ideas of what what the, and and I don't think they were he wasn't selling them for very much per per animal, and so people thought, well, you can't make money on that project, so I'm going to pass. But I guess that you know, being hobbyists, we have kind of yeah, a little bit of a more flexibility in that regard. We don't have to make a ton of money. You know, most most hobbies don't make any money. They cost a lot of money. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, we're we're kind of fortunate in, in one way where we can kind of recoup our our losses <laughs> by selling some offspring to, to good homes. But, um, you know, I think if we have more of that attitude of like, this is not this is not a business. This is a hobby. And, you know, I want to do the best thing I can for the animals that I choose to keep and, you know, move towards that goal. Uh, that's probably a, a good way to do it. And I think a lot of us got kind of caught up in the, you know, the, the giant, uh, rows of Rubbermaid, uh, uh, you know, tubs and, and the, the Brian Barcheck, you know, warehouse idea of, being a reptile breeder and and you know granted there may be a place for that as far as supplying um uh, pet shops with a large number of uh you know captive bred animals and i i guess there there could be some some positives to that but for the most part getting everybody excited about being a giant rack breeder you know the the walmart of reptiles is probably not a good thing and looking back on it it's pretty grotesque isn't it yeah exactly and and i guess hindsight is 2020 so worse always yeah and and i feel like you know i i i was a little excited about that i i admit it you know seeing that and being like wow that's that's a lot of snakes how cool is that you know that's a business right there but then you know, as you grow and learn and you're like, wait a second, maybe that isn't a, a great thing to do for everybody. You know, yeah. like I said, you know, some yeah. people may certainly, be- certainly shouldn't have been the, the, the model dream for, you know, keepers. Yeah. Like, yeah. Should, I don't know how that got to be the, we, we well, want was the pyramid scheme, right? Yeah. It was, it was like, you can make money too. Yeah, just buy these two and put them in a tub and soon you'll have 30 and you can sell them for this much and make this much money. And you too can be a rich reptile breeder. You know, that's, it's kind of how, how, how they sold, sold us on the dream, I guess, <laughs> or that nightmare, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. That's a, that's a tricky one, I guess, is, is when you have to move on, you know, and you see a lot of like divorce or, you know, having to sell off collections to kind of settle that, you know, in a divorce. And it's really sad to see some really cool projects kind of go down the tubes pretty quick when that happens. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what the answer is, but, you know. So are you saying that if you would have moved some stuff on strategically earlier, you would have saved the project? That's that's the question, you know, if, yeah. and, and I don't know what I mean, because I guess people would look at uh, Bert Langworth and say, yeah. oh, he's the guy he's doing it. I don't need to do it. Right. There's yeah, no I incentive. I can't get a different problem Bert. that I don't know what to do about. But yeah, yeah, that's a trick. Because it's not the case. That he wasn't selling tons of dragons. No. Yeah. He sold tons of them. Mm hmm. Yeah. They were out there, and, and I guess you know I'm sure some of the offspring did survive, and they're and those are the people that are producing them today. Sure. And you know I I've, I talked to Ron about that. He was breeding them for a while, and he's like, they just weren't my thing, so I moved mm-hmm. them on. You know, so he could have been producing. Well, but, he could have been the next Bert in that regard. And also, if it's not your thing, and it's not really it's not really a thing at the time, yeah. it's easy to see where you know. They just disappear because people are like, well, 
I can't sell these or, or, you know, they're not really my thing or whatever, yeah. but it's, it, you know, all of a sudden it's like, you know, where do they go? No well, magic. Yeah. yeah. I want these now. I really want these. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's hard. You know, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of reptiles that I would love to keep, <laughs> but I, yeah. I, I've learned Same. that it's, it's so much better to limit yourself and just really be really selective and really sure of what you want and that you're going to be able to house them properly and all that good stuff from mm-hmm. the get go. It's a lot easier to do it at the front end rather than the back end and have a large collection. And all of a sudden oh, I feel bad, you know, I'm keeping them in, in a rack and now I need to move them to cages, but I've got a, you know, now I've got a, buy a bunch of cages or find room to set them all up or, you know, move on some and get rid of some that I really like even just to, to give them a better home, things like that. So I think that, uh, that can be a a tricky thing. So, you know, if you're, if you're just getting into it, I mean, it's a real big, um, it's a real, real big temptation just to dive in and get all that you can as fast as you can and, and those kind of things. And, that's where Billy's tenants come in and, you know, mm-hmm. we need to kind of do it with forethought and with planning and things like that. So. I think, you know, if you can maintain some of the flexibility in your life, um, however that is, you know, whether that's just keeping in a couple animals long term, you know, one or two and just this is this is what I like and this is what I, you know, I'm keeping or if you, you know, do it with a modest size collection that maybe you're moving a little bit more often as stuff, picking stuff up, tra- taking stuff, you know, taking stuff that you're not interested, depending upon, you know, how you're kind of doing it. I, I think, you know, I think one of my biggest things that I feel is the weight of being tied down by a big collection and, and like w- with all the great points that you guys brought up about, you know, mortality and, and just how things change year to year, much less decade to decade and, and all of that, it's, it's, it's such a, such a good idea to travel light. And I think that you can still travel light and still, you know, kind of have it either way. Right. Like, isn't that the awesomest part? And like, if you want to go out herping, yeah, you don't have a huge collection to take care of and you know, you're free to do that. Or if you want to fly to Australia, you're not burdening your family or whatever, you know what I mean? I just, I think there's just some real benefit to that. Anyway, I digress. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's something I've been thinking about a fair amount. Um, like to speak from my own, experience as like so I had not a big collection like a half a dozen or so animals in high school and going out to college had to rehome most of them and so um, and thinking back on it I don't know if I did a good job right like I put in like a a Craigslist ad and someone came by and took uh, all my geckos and I have no idea what happened Um, and then Throughout then like four years of school and then ten years of medical uh, training, I knew I didn't want to do that again, and so I just had my one bearded dragon, and then when he died, uh, into his uh, I think it was around fourteen fifteen, um, then I got my ball python that I still have, mm-hmm. um, and so now it's just been these last two years that I you know finally am done with training. 
got my first job, first real job, <laughs> bought a house and have like space to actually do something. And it's like, oh, I have all this opportunity, but how do I actually want to do it? And I'm doing it much differently than 16 year old me would have done it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like, oh, if I make a wrong decision and I get, you know, like, like God forbid a tortoise, you know, like, do I have it? Like now I've like, it's for my children, you know, for, you know, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah. So it's a, it's a thing I'm thinking about of like, if I get something that's not, despite all of my learning about it, not the thing I want, what do I do with that? Mm-hmm. Um, and am I, what's the obligation? And I mean, we do, we do learn the hard way a lot yeah. of times, you know, mm-hmm. like, like you said, and, and I think, you know, we, our good friend, Steve, uh, Sharp, he, he got out of keeping entirely because he couldn't, you know, kind of get over that, uh, you know, the feeling of I'm, I'm putting these animals are, are having a, a potentially having a, a miserable life because of me, you know, I'm bringing them into the world by breeding these animals, selling Some them to people be. who might let them languish or, you know, so, you know, that, that, uh, aspect of it just, you know, really weighed on his, his soul, you know? So yeah. I, I mean, think even if you're was, keeping great care of your animals, if you're moving some along, whether that's rehoming or, uh, selling offspring, that's out of your control. Mm-hmm. And some and and you know don't get it twisted. Life is out of our control. I mean, there's yeah, sure. so much is that out of our control that we would like to say that we establish some control over, but we don't. So I mean, you know, I, I think you act ethically, you act morally, but in, in the end, like you know, you kind of gotta be real with like shit happens. Yeah. Well, and two in the wild, I mean, how many are making it, you know, out of the first few days of life, you know, a lot of things are getting eaten pretty quickly or having a savage end, you know, that they're meeting or, Mm -hmm. or a long drawn out, you know, prolonged, I mean, I'm sure we've all seen those animals in the wild that are just, you know, just barely hanging on and, and, uh, they're going to die soon. And, you know, that it's, it's tragic, but life's pretty rough, you know? So I think in a lot of ways, uh, you know, animals in captivity have it pretty good. And sometimes we kill them with kindness, you know, we're giving them too Mm -hmm. much and too, too good of a a life. And that's not great for some reptiles either. So, yeah, I mean the ethics, you know, ethics aside, that's a, that's a, that's a big uh, can of worms for sure. But, you know, I, I definitely think we need to consider those ethics and and think about those things uh, when we're, when we're taking on, um, and supporting life in our garage or in our house or whatever, you know. So that's uh, that's definitely a consideration to be made. <laughs> yeah. Well, have we uh, covered it. Anything else you can think of, or <laughs> any yeah, other points you so. wanted to make? Or um, I think we 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 discussed some pretty good topics, but yeah, I think there's know. also this is a uh, a point for you, um, not for me. So uh-huh. tr- switching sides, the idea that. Um, the stress of moving an animal, yeah. too, um, and so uh, it, it, paradoxically, it does seem like sometimes that's the stress that makes them breed. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. but um, clearly, them leaving the situation that they feel is their home environment is stressful to a lot of them, and so I think that's you know we're we're not dealing with 
inanimate, inanimate merchandise. You know, we're dealing with living, living creatures, and so I think that's another reason to um, have it your mindset when you're going into getting them that you're getting them for their natural life. Yeah, and I mean that's that is kind of a, a paradox, right? Some some animals yeah. do much better once they're shipped somewhere else, and, and like right. that stimulates them to eat better or breed right. or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, and yeah, they like go into like a <laughs> uh, fight or flight type situation or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and even like you know, poor Chuck trying to you know with the Helma Harris moving him to a different cage could potentially reset him for you know five years or something. So like it, it's uh it can be can be rough those moves. Stupid <laughs> sorry, things. Sorry, Ed. No, it's I. I mean, it's I. I just I cannot express how disappointed I am. Yeah. Uh, just and it's like, what do you do, man? Like, you can't even get mad about it. You know, it's like yeah. you're just lucky to have what you have. Shut up, enjoy. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. but it is. It's frustrating. You you thought you you know you thought you really thought you had, like made a breakthrough and. Yeah. Now it's all like, did you? Did it? What was that? What happened? You know. And yeah. I, do you go backwards? Do you go? Do you continue to go forwards? Like I don't. Yeah. Need, I don't even know which way to go now. So yeah, all those uh, questions are like, did I? Is this the reason? Is this the? Yeah. You know, it's just hard. It's almost impossible to figure everything out and mm-hmm. you know, getting to get into the mind of those animals. And maybe some people are better at that, and they. They, uh, that's why they're so successful. I don't know, but yeah, I definitely don't fall into that category most of the time. So, yeah, yeah, I'm not ready to move them on because I feel unsuccessful. So yeah, we're, yeah. we're not there. Well, yet. and you've got a I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> Pretty soon you're going to be just swimming in them. I'm sure. Yeah, hopefully. Breads, but we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Well, um, yeah, I, I really think you know. That, that getting in that mindset of you know taking on a new new species, um, whether you have to move it on or not, but just having that attitude of I'm going to do the best I can and I'm going to give it the best life possible and I'm going to help you know the offspring that come as a result of these animals uh, get the best life they can too. So and that's that's not always the easiest thing, but uh, if we if we make a concerted effort and strive to really uh, do these animals justice and, and give them a, a good happy life then um, we can't do much more than that I think I agree alright well <laughs> that was a that was a good discussion topic thanks for uh, bringing yeah, that fun. on and coming back and fighting with us again it's a lot yeah, of yeah. good so, thank you thanks for inviting yeah. me of course um, any, any cool I mean you, you put me onto that podcast the entre- the was it Reptile Entrepreneur I, yeah I favorite, favorite that in my podcast app. It's so good. I'll yeah. have to give it a listen. Yeah, I, Bill Strand. He's he's done some good shows. That um, I think Rob was the one that turned me on to the Chameleon Academy podcast, uh, talking about the um, fogging. Uh, oh, those episodes are amazing. Oh, mm. it, was, it was mind blowing. Really yeah. cool stuff. So yeah, that was that was fun to listen to. And I, I need to go back and listen to him again, and maybe put some of those things into practice or something. Yeah. Yeah, I feel cool. like there's a whole bunch of, um, you know, niche podcasts and you find the ones that you like because that you're also in that sector. Yeah. I don't have any chameleons. I don't know if yeah. I'll ever have chameleons. Mm-hmm. And I listen to most of those podcasts because yeah. the way he describes things I find really interesting and the, like his process, I, I, I really like a lot. Yeah. 
Another one I listened to recently that really got the wheels turning was uh, Will Philippeck. That was he was on uh, the Eric and Owen with Eric and Owen and, and talk. Well, I guess it was Eric and Rob. <laughs> Rob uh, Rob's a bright guy, so it was. It's always fun to listen to him on the on the podcast. But um, talking about uh, the um, what were they talking about mm-hmm. again? Oh, whether you could breed pythons year round, and that mm-hmm. you know that got kind of some questions and some ideas maybe for some future fight clubs or something just cool. talking about you know thinking about those topics and um maybe we had a have we have we had will on here if we haven't i think i was in i, I was, I I was talking to him about coming on so yeah we, we need to get him on here he's, he's yeah. a bright guy so he for he's, sure uh, fun to fun to listen to his make it happen julinder i know i know um but uh, I don't know if you guys. I, I listened to the Venom Exchange Radio podcast uh, recently. Oh, Phil and Nipper, those guys are great. So it's fun to hear uh, Nipper's recap of the Utah trip. And nice, I'll have to check yeah, that, that out. It was fun. So it was a good trip. <laughs> that was uh, hard to beat. We found all the rare stuff, which was yeah. you know when you're finding a liar snake and a speckled rattlesnake, but you don't see a gopher snake in Utah. <laughs> that's a weird trip. That is <laughs> a weird trip. Pretty epic. But yeah, and two two Gila monsters to build. An so, awesomely yeah. weird trip. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that trip. Yeah, that's in, a good in trip. Year, so, yeah, and man, the 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 number of uh, mountain kings that are being found in in Utah this year is incredible. I, record I've got a record, that's found like a dozen of them, man. It's man. like crazy. I, I need to find one. With, yeah, you know, for real. Like rubbing, rubbing salt. It's like rubbing it in your yeah, salt yeah, in your wound, you know, man. To, to be fair, I've only gotten out to look for them a couple times this year. So. Yeah. See, it all comes yeah. back to. Yeah, and they live in right. the, you know he's he lives within their habitat, you know within yeah, the yeah, range, yeah. so it's a lot easier yeah. to go. Um, you know, so I, he's I, but he's doing you a favor. He's like, look it, looky here. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, oh man, I'm gotta go, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's hard, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it is what it is. I, I've gotten out locally and seen you know quite a few of the like rubber boas, which is fun yeah. to see and um, some other things. So I guess I can do my looky looky here too. So it's <laughs> awesome. If anybody cares about rubber boas, but yeah. Um, what, what cool, weird snakes they are. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know any other cool things out there. Um, I've been enjoying, um, speaking of another animal group, I don't have anything of, but, uh, for turtles, the let's talk turtle podcast. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Ryan, I, uh, Dumas. Yeah. Um, yeah. and Tom, uh, yeah. their passion is infectious. Um, Right. And and then hearing about like building outdoor enclosures and then the intersections of preservation and conservation um, and the stuff like I, I do think tortoise people are doing it a little differently and so oh, yeah. it, it, yeah. you're um, I think there's a lot of things that we could learn from them and so I mean I've learned a lot by listening yeah. to them talk yeah yeah I think a lot of times we get in that mindset we need to stick to our niche and you know just focus on the things that talk but once you start crossing the streams and looking yep. at other uh types you see a lot of parallels and you see a lot of yeah. things that you can benefit from and that you For can sure. actually learn from and and grow from you know and, and then you can hold conversations with those people too because you know a little bit about tortoises now because you're yeah. listening to these podcasts and you can carry on a conversation with somebody who may have you know disparate uh, interests uh, compared to your own so yeah, it's kind of kind of fun. I, I really like that. We've had Ryan on here a couple times, yeah. and he's 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 a good uh, 
yeah. good one to the fight with. He he's, likes he's really Kansas. funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good There's stuff. There's a, a book that I've been reading, yeah. Health and Welfare of Captive Reptiles. Okay. It's like a textbook uh-huh. that has uh, um, some of the people that contribute to it are pretty hostile toward uh, keepers. Keepers. Um, <laughs> But I think it is a good um, perspective to have then and to mm-hmm. uh, challenge what you're doing. Like, can I defend what I'm doing to these people, even if they're maybe using science with a slant mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, for, for their agenda? Um, and so there are parts of it that I've been, uh, you know, I get a little upset about. But uh, a lot of it... Some of it has opened my eyes and challenged me to do things uh, to a different level and different standard. Um, but yeah, it's good. I'm like two thirds of the way through it, and it's 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 a good one. Cool. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. I started reading uh, "Discovering Snakes in Wild Places." It's uh, Harvey Lily White's book, and um, kind of just his uh, herping adventures kind of thing. You know, encounters with wild uh, reptiles. So. I've I've only only just started it, but it's it kind of has that that um, tone of, of some of the older school books, you know, the the herping adventures, and um, so it's it's a it's a fun one. I've enjoyed the first you know first few uh, chapters. So nice good stuff. Yeah, a lot of good, lot too many good books out there. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've got a lot that I still need to get through and read, but yeah, good stuff. Well, um, I guess that'll do it for us. <laughs> Thanks for Sounds coming good. on, Bill. Do you uh, yeah. you want to throw your info out there again? Or? Yeah, sure. Um, Creepers or Pediculture is my Instagram, and that's really the best place to find me. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll uh, thank the Morelia Pythons Radio Network. Uh, I'll, I'll put in another plug for uh, Carpet Fest, uh, August 12th, I believe. Um in Pennsylvania at Eric's house uh, should be a good party. They just put up their uh, um, Carpet Fest t-shirts on the Morelia Pythons Teespring store and so, um, you know even if you can't attend, you can buy a t-shirt and feel like you're part of the group. (laughs) So um, check that out, but yeah we're we're thankful to uh, Eric and Owen and what they do and the the network, so we'll... uh, Catch you again next week for another episode of Reptile Fight Club. I'm just kidding. We're leaving. Bye.